0: facts do not have opinions just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good self love is really about self respect and acceptance welcome to the whole view i'm stacy toth of real everything i'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self love body positivity and discovering new ways to be our best selves Today is a special bonus episode, and I'm excited to welcome Rob Volpe. Did I pronounce your name mostly you did. correct? You okay, good. <laughs> and we are going to be talking about empathy. I empathy and resilience are two words that are just really important and strong for me right now, both as a mom as well as like coming out of the pandemic. And I think you did a really good job of talking about that in your new book, Tell Me More About That, Solving the Empathy Crisis, One Conversation at a Time. So I'm excited to have this conversation. And as listeners, we think about this and it relates to our health. I think one of the most important ways, not only that we consider the health and wellness of ourselves and helping others has been shown by science to be incredibly powerful for our own well-being. But it also relates to community care and how we benefit from a community that is thriving. We personally are improved when our community is thriving. And so when we have empathy and when we can show compassion for others, it is a great way to improve the health and wellness of all's self-included, right? Like a rising tide is going to lift all ships kind of things. A little bit about Rob. He is a thought leader in the role of empathy and marketing, the workplace, and our personal lives. As chairman and founder of Ignite 360, he has built a team focused on the strategy and creative professionals serving the world's leading brands across a range of industries Coming to all sorts of insights and wonderful conclusions that he shares in his new book, as I mentioned, he is a graduate of Syracuse University's SI Newhouse School of Public Communications and has been studying empathy since 2010 when the University of Michigan study came out showcasing the empathy crisis. So I'm wondering maybe that's a good place to start us off. What Tell us about that study and what kind of spoke to you about it to put you on this path.
1: Yeah, Stacey, thank you. It's um, something that empathy has always been a superpower of mine. Um, I've always naturally been more empathetic. And suddenly in 2010, the study came out and I remember hearing about it. It was on CNN. They got coverage there that showed that there was a 40% decline in empathy skills. So the University of Michigan did this study. They did a meta analysis of 76 different universities and their student life surveys. And one of the questions on those surveys was, are you able to see the point of view of your peers, your classmates? And from 1979 through 2001, there was a 40% decline and then the study continued to 2009 the numbers didn't really shift they didn't go down but they also didn't come back up and i thought oh wow so in 2001 a college student and now i'm hearing about this in 2010 as the study's been released that person's in their like 30s early 30s they're working they may be a parent and that's a real issue if there's a 40 percent decline in the ability to see somebody else's point of view like we got to do something about that because to what you were mentioning the role of empathy in the community and the way that we connect each other it is this super skill it's a super ability that fuels all the things that we need to be successful in all the roles that we play whether it's being a parent or a neighbor or a friend or a volunteer or in a a work environment, whether you're a contributor or a leader or manager, empathy is is vital to all of that. So I heard that study come out, Anchor on CNN's given it a few seconds of chatter, and I'm standing in an airport because i traveled a lot uh, for work in those days, and I'm looking around going, oh my God, we've got to do something about this, kind of hoping there'd be this sort of galvanizing rallying of everyone and there's some people enjoying their beers over at the bar other people are racing to catch their flight and I was like oh my gosh I feel so alone in this moment right now but we need to do something about it and and that's what really set me down the path of studying empathy more and helping more directly helping people use their empathy skills and their abilities which is they're born with to have a better life and live a better life and be more successful in their lives.
0: I do think that being empathetic drives success. I like that you use that word. And the reason that I think it does is because I think it changes the perception that one has about how to define success. I think I talk a lot about like this hamster wheel that we can all be on and how that chronic stress can be really negative towards our health. And when you have perspective about the life experiences of others, and when you stop and pause to appreciate and have gratitude for your own life, it really changes how you define what success is. You're no longer chasing the next thing that you need to have. And for me, it was a game changer when I became a foster mom. I'd like to think that I'm always, have always been an empathetic person. I'm one of those people who like, can't watch body horror because i literally feel it in my bones when someone else gets physically hurt like i just i deeply feel for others mm. but it was entirely a different experience to be enlightened by the lived experience of someone completely outside of my personal bubble right like they they live in a different community they're in a different socioeconomic class they're whatever it might be from someone coming into our home It doesn't matter in which direction, right? Like a different lived experience and then seeing how their life has been affected by that lived experience created more empathy and understanding and compassion for the world as a whole for me than I ever could have from just on my own. And I think doing that at the exact same time that there was a global pandemic, we signed up to be foster parents and like, started our training a couple of months before the pandemic. So it just it was like a jump in to the fire uh from there was no frying pan. It was just jump into the fire all at once. And my husband actually got a job after being a stay-at-home dad for fifteen years at that same time as well. And it was like our entire lives shifted. and it afforded me the opportunity to really evaluate. What I wanted. And I think one of the things that you talked about in your book was a study that Ignite 360, your firm, did where you interviewed, I think it was like tens of thousands of people, did a survey, and what they wanted out of the pandemic was to have more empathy. And I would love if you could talk a little bit about that because my own personal experience very much aligned to that mindset. And so I think you talked about being a little bit surprised by that, but I was like, nope, I totally get it, right? Like we got so disconnected during that. And I think we also were stuck on our screens watching what was happening in the rest of the world and feeling like, oh, I am empathetic to whether it was George Floyd or all the other things that were happening around the same time. It just, it was like this fire is catching to say like a a cliche kind of phrase, right? And so I loved that you did that study and would love to hear what your thoughts and take were on the people that you were working with to find those results.
1: Sure. So March, I think it was March 10th, 2020. I was on a plane uh, because I've traveled a lot back then and, but everything was shutting down. And I was like, oh my God, this is, I, I just knew like the pandemic, like and what was coming was going to be so huge and it was going to change the way, change our values, change the way we interact with each other. It was going to be the inflection point for the next 10, 20, 30 years in global society. It was not just about American society, but yeah. I thought, all right, we need to document this, record this study, it, try to understand what's going on. And so I came up with this idea to do a study that we call Navigating to a New Normal. It started in April 2020, and it's a combination of quantitative where we're surveying tens of thousands of people and then also qualitative data and there's 15 American adults that we've been following and we still follow them to this day and talk with them about what's going on in the world and how they're responding to things how they're reacting changes and so which has been really rewarding and we put out thought pieces about that I just wrote a piece around the holidays about why we need Christmas more now more than ever because of all the overwhelm or the empathic distress that people are feeling because of the wars that are going on the price of food is so high people are struggling but in the survey and the quantitative data one of the questions we started asking people was like okay so as we're as you get into twenty twenty one, you're moving out of the pandemic. Things are starting to open back up. There's vaccines. The death rates are are dropping, and we started asking people like, "What do you what do you intend for the future? What are you looking for?" And the things that were really bubbling to the surface was a having more gratitude and appreciating what they have, but also that they wanted more empathy. They wanted to be able to see the point of view and better understand other people. Last fall, actually fall twenty twenty two we did a a wave of that survey, and we asked people how concerned they were about all these different issues going on, both personally and then societally. So personal issues around food prices, gas prices, home energy prices, to issues around crime, uh, drug addiction, homelessness, terrorism. And we also asked the question about their concern about our inability to overcome differences of opinion. And there were, 24 different answers possibilities on that survey, and they had to rate how concerned they were or worried. The inability to overcome differences of opinion was number four on the list in terms of most worried amongst over 1,500 US adults. That And the only three things that were above that were the personal, what I call the personal pocketbook things, the food prices, the gas prices, and the home energy prices. That signals to me exactly what you're hearing. Like there is awareness that we've got a problem and we need to fix it and and how do we go about doing that? And that's part of why I wrote the book was to help people understand what to do to be more empathetic in the moment and use my own experiences doing research and and research where I'm going into strangers homes and talking to people and meeting people I've never met before and some that are very different from me and having to try to connect with them and understand where they're coming from and their point of view and and that was challenging and sometimes it was humorous and sometimes it was a little shocking um but it, it it helped illustrate all those points
0: I think one of the things that stood out for me about that was the stories that you were telling about um, the individuals as you went through the book, but specifically your own story is also weaved in and powerful. One of the things that I think helps us make ourselves more empathetic is the idea of connecting to other people's lived experience I I don't know how many times I've seen someone have a really strong opinion on something a, a belief that they hold that feels foundational to their very being and then they or someone very close to them has a lived experience that helps them see a different perspective and then either their stance softens because they can understand where the other person is coming from Or they might entirely switch their view and say, I was wrong on that. I wonder, as you talk about the five steps to being more empathetic, where some of this lived experience from your own story, as well as when you're looking at improving the changes you're making yourself, like how can we do more of that in a world that is so divisive, in algorithms that are Keeping us separated from seeing other lived experience, right? Like I can see it myself in becoming a foster mom. Not everybody is going to have that experience. What more can we do to tap into some of that?
1: Yeah, and I wanted to mention earlier, and I'm glad you brought the fostering parenting up again. You're getting a real gift, and you're. It, I think it's a tremendous gift to be a foster parent to to kids in need. But they're giving you a gift back if you look at it the right way, and. without a doubt, 100% understand somebody else, what do we need to be doing? And to all of the listeners, it's having awareness. That's the first thing is just opening your eyes to the algorithm, to the fact that it sounds like the matrix, but there, there, it, when you look at social media,
0: it's based in reality. (laughs) it, It is.
1: It totally is. And you're so when you go on social media, you are getting fed the things that align to your worldview. And so if you are out, you get angry and and there were people can Google and find the reports from the the whistleblower around Instagram and and Facebook and the studies that were finding that, yeah, they actually if you, have an angry emoji reaction to something, you're going to get fed more of that because that reaction increases your engagement. And they're ultimately about making money. And what they need is for you to spend more time in your emotional heightened emotional state so that you're going to see more ads and buy more things. And that's business. That's capitalism. It's the world we live in, but it's understanding that. And then how do you open yourself up? So the first step in the five steps that I write about, the first step is dismantling judgment. And what we've found in some of our research is that's the one that gets in most people's way. We have these biases and stereotypes, preconceived notions, past experiences and we it it creates like a brick wall in front of us and if you don't dismantle that you're never going to be able to get through it and it's about having awareness when you're about to say something or you're not you're going to shut somebody down or or not listen to them and go wait a minute what's going on why am I doing this what's happening what's prompting that and how can I turn things around and and look at things from a different way and just be open to hearing other people's experiences
0: I think when you're talking about the phenomenon that I have experienced previously, and I think a lot of people experience with this idea of breaking down bias, I think a lot of us want to believe that we are the exception to the societal rule and that we are not that thing, right? That like, whatever it is, racist, sexist, misogynistic, like whatever the insert problem here. We're not it. And I think to your point, it is important to understand not just that the algorithm exists, but that is the definition that society is based upon and that we absolutely cannot be an exception because we exist in this world. And that whether I, so while I am a queer female, I am still going to have bias against inherently towards other women. Like my first thought might not be to kick that person out or to throw them under the bus but somewhere along the line my subconscious is going to go to it's her or you because the glass ceiling is pretty low and only one of you can be in the boardroom at a time or whatever the the scenario might be yeah um yeah, go ahead.
1: <laughs> oh, I was yeah, yeah, yes, a hundred, a thousand times, yes. I'm agree. <laughs> I
0: totally
1: agree. And I've, I think I even say in the book, like I'm not perfect. I was not, and and I don't want anyone to think I think of myself on a pedestal or put myself. I say I write in one passage in the book that in my family, the dominant genes are brown-eyed and judgy, and and so we were talking about our holidays. Like I had to deal with all that and have it staring at me in the face and my husband turning to me and going you're like an alien sometimes like the like you came out differently from the family and in some ways yes and in some ways no but we're all works in progress and when i give talks about empathy and help people understand more about it i talk to civic groups and organizations companies I ask the audience to rate themselves silently. I don't need to know the answer, but on a scale of one to five, and so listeners can ask this question to themselves, on a scale of one to five, how would you rate your empathy skills, your ability to have empathy with other people? And just hold on to that number in your head. And then I tell people, I give myself like a four on a good day. And usually I'm like a 3.5 because I'm trying and I'm a work in progress. And there are times when, I maybe don't have that self-awareness fully turned on and so then my judgment rears up or i'm really busy and i'm not actively listening or i didn't ask a good question these are all some of the other steps and as a result then i'm not getting to a place of empathy but hopefully i'm able to and what gets me to like a four is that i'm able to go back and go wait a minute what what was going on there why am i having this reaction And either, how do I go back? How do I do it differently and try to have a different outcome? But yeah, we are all, nobody's perfect. No one is perfect. We're all works in progress. And we have to have grace with ourselves about that. We're human and it's progress, not perfection.
0: Absolutely. And for listeners of the show, you can't see, but behind Rob is a big sign that says, ask more questions. And I think curiosity is the thing that can save humanity like I am huge on that I'm a big there I don't know if you're familiar with Gretchen Rubin's work of four tendencies but I always thought of myself as a rebel there's like four different things you can be and turns out I'm actually a questioner and I'm like yes this is so exactly what I am because I am a rebel to the point of it doesn't work for me. It doesn't make sense. But if someone sits down and explains it to me where someone is coming from or why the rule exists, I will be the first person to like put on the patrol belt and be like, nope, this is the rule. You can't pass by that sort of thing. And I think the idea that we be open to ask questions is super important, but then also to challenge ourselves. Are we really listening? Are we really Allowing this person to answer a question without automatically telling ourselves, oh, that's because this. Or whatever assumptions or judgments or bias you already have might be like creating a shield to where you're not fully absorbing what the answer might be. And to me, that's like the biggest barrier that I've seen with people because we come from this place of the algorithm telling us whatever it is. And then, for example, I have a non binary trans child, and I love that you are that you talked about your husband. So I'll clarify for listeners Rob talks about coming out and being gay in his book as well. And for me, when I was advocating for this child to be able to go on puberty blockers, it was like I had no idea the amount of negative feedback and pushback that I got from individuals because to me it was like the science is so obviously clear that even if this individual who identified non-binary at the time decides that they're going to be the gender that was assigned at birth, puberty blockers hasn't negatively affected them. It's given them space to make that decision. Or... If they identify as trans through that process, it has allowed them to pause the physical development of a gender that they don't align with. And that would cause less harm for them in terms of reducing suicidality and all of these kinds of things. For me, it was like so obvious because the science is very clear. There's endless studies. The American Pediatric Society, everybody says this is the thing to do. And I was shocked because I'm in a health and wellness space and people immediately were like, well, that's bad for their health. I'm like, you know what else is bad for their health? Death. Death is bad for their health. Yeah. And so going through that process, And seeing how with information, with me explaining this to people, that this is what the science says, this is what all of this kind of stuff, this is their lived experience before they were in our home. Like all of these kinds of things and that suicidality and self-harm is a real thing for a majority of, especially the trans community, but the LGBTQ community in general, people immediately were like, Oh, I understand because they have a relationship with me. They trust me. If I'm helping them, if they're asking questions and they're listening to my story and I answer these questions for them in a non aggressive, non judgmental sort of way of where they're coming from and they're curiously listening, then we can have a conversation. And it might not be the choice that they would make for their child, but they can at least understand where I am coming from and that this is not the nasty pitchfork vitriol that you might find online about that decision or the assumptions being made about the term gender affirming care and what some people assume that means. And I think going through an experience like that makes me realize the more we shut down and the more we like become defensive, the less someone can be curious, but it's this catch-22 of, do you want to let your guard down and be open to someone who is going to be spitting that vitriol? Like You don't know where it's coming from.
1: And what's going to happen and what yes. the outcome is. And thank you for sharing that. I have a friend who has niece that's trans and about to enter into, and they're having to figure out the puberty blockers and they live in the South. And so there's some laws coming up that are Making that challenging. But everybody has to decide for themselves when and where, engage a situation and who they're talking to. Social media is it the thing about that scene in Mean Girls where they get into that animal cat fight in the wilds magnify that and there's this anonymity that people have on social media so they feel like they can say anything because they're never going to see you again and it, it really does bring out the worst in people that said if you take that growth mindset, that curiosity, and try to ask good questions and understand and have a rational conversation and go, okay, I got a lot of judgment about this because my politician, my pastor, my pundit, whomever has fed me this information. I saw some blogger say something and therefore I think it's true. And you haven't been able to verify the facts try to put that aside and go into an open mind to say, hey, I want to understand because there's millions of people going through this in this country alone. So it's not just like a one-off thing. It's not just a bunch of, a a little isolated group of crazies or something. This is a real issue that people are going through. And so if you approach it from that place of curiosity, you can learn a lot more. One of the chapters that i oddly end up talking about a lot in the uh, from the book is a chapter called fear and it's about the time that I and I'm gay man I live in San Francisco you can probably imagine where my politics lie and how I feel about gun safety and gun control but I was hired by a client to go to the NRA gun show in St Louis one year and to intercept people and find out what it is about carrying concealed weapons that like why do they want to do that And I write, I write all about it in the book, felt really uncomfortable going in there. It's like just a totally different world, but I went in with curiosity to understand and to ask, and I just kept asking questions and listening to what people had to say without being judgmental, without shutting them down or anything like that. And what I found was a fear and hence the title of the chapter. Fear was the the underlying thing of why people wanted a carry conceal weapon permit. And then when I came back and talked to my liberal lefty friends here in San Francisco, it turned out that fear was the thing that they had about people with guns. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So gee, if we came to the table understanding that, yeah, we're afraid, and we're, you know, we're all just afraid of the world, it's a scary place. And it is but if we came to the table with that we could probably work together to figure out a solution that isn't going to take people's guns away i'm not advocating that but that's going to make people on both sides feel safe and secure and heard and like be at a place where it's like okay i can live with this i can accept this but it's so important that we have that curiosity and that growth mindset and wanting to learn from people
0: it's an interesting topic to bring up because i I have four teenagers who are, well, one has graduated high school, but three are in high school. And until the last couple of years, it wasn't a concern for them, active shooter drills and all these things. But specifically, I think the pandemic raised um, general anxiety and um, the record-breaking mass shootings has my children anxious to go to school, which is a, a terrible thing. And if you don't have a school-age child. It might be hard to understand what it's like to have a conversation with your child at 8 p.m. the night before school when they're crying and having an anxiety attack and saying that don't they don't feel safe in the place that they spend the most amount of time except home. Like that is a really difficult conversation to have, and yet I, my father is a card-carrying NRA member, and I have gone shooting with him. And one of the things that I talked about on social was the idea that my father taught me before we were ever anywhere where a weapon could be fired, all of the basics and his weapons are stored in a safe behind a locked door, right? Like all of these things. And, you know, when I was talking about it on social, I'm like, if the majority of people who wanted the rights that we provide in this country were willing to do what my father does, then we would not have the problems that we have today. And I think for the majority of people who are doing those kinds of actions to protect communities, it is an entirely different situation than someone who isn't thinking through those things and who is like, oh, Why did this person have a loaded weapon where a toddler could access it? Right? Like, that would never have happened in my father's home. And so, it's like you're saying, we are saying the same thing. He is doing the actions that someone like yourself is wanting to have, making assumption on what you're wanting. But I think you made that pretty clear. Right? Like, and without... This being a political conversation, which some might feel it already has, for me, this is about the safety and wellness of my children. This is about my children wanting to feel safe and going to school and to get an education. And that is something that I think we as a country, the majority of Americans agree on, but yet a conversation can't be had because we don't have the empathy and we don't have the compassion our leaders don't have the compassion to sit down and to have that difficult conversation. Instead, it's like, this is our stance on, this this is our stance on this and we're just going to keep butting heads. Like at what point do we as a society get to stand up and say, that's not working for us anymore. Like that's not serving us the way we need to. We need you to follow Rob's five steps and listen to each other and come up with a solution that can protect our children and still enable people to have their constitutional right. I think that there is a middle ground that in many things, not just gun rights, I think that there are countless topics that we could bring up on this topic to say the majority of Americans stand somewhere in that middle ground, yet we can't access it because people aren't willing to go there. And I think empathy and understanding where someone else comes from is a critical part of that, that I'm hoping more people understand. But like you said, you, you were standing in that airport, and you were watching people around you, and you felt so alone. I, I felt that way when there was a documentary that came out on Netflix a couple of years ago, The Social Dilemma, and just like looking around and like, like we've all seen this movie and we're okay to move forward like we've we're we're just gonna proceed as normal we're not gonna like address the fact that this is creating incredible divisiveness, isolation, depression like all of these kinds of things that are brought up and I'm like but we're proceeding forward anyway I don't understand what's happening
1: well how many people got on instagram right after facebook right after watching it and started scrolling and liking and doing all the things yeah we need to listen to each other more and be open and one of the things i encourage parents in particular because people also ask me like well what led to this empathy crisis and it's like okay well that's the 10 minute sort of discussion because there's a lot of different things it's like death by a thousand cuts But one of the things is around our kids and the way kids have been growing up and if you think about like okay a college student in 2001 to go back to that university of michigan study they would have been coming of age in the like 80s and 90s and you, Stacey, this may or may not be true for you, but you probably started getting a lot of like activities and you were scheduled to do things. And people use that because they need their kids to get ahead or they need childcare, basically. And so let me put my child into this activity, that activity. What's happening is kids aren't allowed to get bored and be bored. And even now I see parents when their kids are bored, they turn around and hand them a phone or some other screen to entertain them. But when you're bored, you can actually like go off and role play. Like my parents used to say like, oh, just go outside and play or go up to your room. If it was raining outside and figure something out and you'd start to role play and role playing in that imaginative play is so good because it's about empathy. You're not playing, and I write about it in the book. I was I'm a huge Wonder Woman fan, and I always have been. And I used to role play Wonder Woman, and it's not like I was Major Steve Trevor; I was Wonder Woman. And but I, it wasn't Rob as Wonder Woman; it was me as Diana Prince turning into Wonder Woman. And you need empathy in order to. Be another character and to inhabit another character. And so role playing and, and that type of play that kids just naturally will do helps build empathy. It helps build those empathy muscles. So it's really critical. So parents can do anything. It's let your kids be bored and encourage creative play and role playing and trying to be something else. And reading is another great thing, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, stepping into the lives of somebody else, it helps you imagine what it might be like to be them.
0: I love the idea of of bringing it back to kind of books and creative play as well, because I don't think it's a coincidence that during the time period that I was going through this Huge self transformation over the past couple of years. I started reading again. I'm an English major. I read so much. I wrote books. I wrote a blog and I just got really tapped out for a while and quit reading. And then during this period of time, I just started like, I just, someone sent me a book, a friend sent me a book, like, oh, I think you'll like this. Not the first person in 20 years to tell me that they thought I would like a book. But in that moment, I was ready, right? And I picked up the book and I, Voraciously, I'm now reading. I read 52 books last year and I'm excited a book a week, right? And for me, I definitely have had the experience that you're talking about, right? To, I read this book, highly recommend House of Eve, that it's a fictional based book, but it's historical fiction about the lives of women who got pregnant in the mid 1900s and what that experience would have been like if you were an unwed pregnant woman. And I think we hear the stories about the teenagers who go away for a few months and then come back. Like it's the story of what going away was like. And I think it gave a lot of empathy for me, for my teenagers today, to what they were going through, to see it through that lens. And I think there's a lot of different ways that empathy has shined through reading that we might not even realize, right? Like in a fun fictional fantasy, you're still getting insights into how someone else thinks or the why someone would make a decision that might not be your decision. So I love that idea. One of the other things that I like to do on the show is ask guests, what is the thing that you can leave listeners with to help them walk away with something positive, something actionable that they can take to be of service to work on either themselves or others. And I think this idea of Reading is a great example of that, whether it's for yourself or encouraging your kids to do it. As a parent, I love when the power goes out because I find my kids doing all the creative things that you're talking about, right? Like they'll play chess together or they'll run around and play hide and go seek or they'll role play and they'll do different kinds of things that engage with humans in a much different way than they're engaging on video games or whatever it is they might be doing. Can you think of other examples, maybe for us as adults, to reopen ourselves to some of these lifelong judgments and biases that, as you said, like step step one seems to be a barrier for people. Where do you see some of the easier ways for people to break down that barrier so that listeners can walk away and be like, okay, I'm going to work on this one thing for myself to gain more empathy?
1: Absolutely. I think one of the first steps I encourage people to do ties to that first step to empathy. And the five steps are all things that we have to be aware of in the moment while we're interacting with somebody and different things come up for different people. But as I mentioned, judgment is the big one. Keep a judgment journal. Just, and it's not a burn book, so what you do is take a piece so of paper- So many
0: Mean Girls references.
1: <laughs> I just watched it again the other night, but I always reference it. Can't this. go wrong. I know, it's classic. Take a piece of paper, and when you find yourself being judgmental, make note of it. You know, what was going on? What were you thinking? Or, or what you said, and maybe what was behind it, and what you would have wanted to have said instead. And then at the end of the day... Just take a look at it and see, are there any themes or patterns that have come up? You can do it on a piece of paper. You can do it in the notes on your phone, but look for patterns that might be emerging because it might give you a clue as to where these things are coming from. There might be a, oh, I had that relative way back when, or this teacher, and they filled me with this or that, and then make note of it, and then tear up the piece of paper, flush it, burn it. Hit delete on your phone because you want to start the next day fresh. And remember, every day is a new day and have grace with yourself. That's the other big thing. It's like have awareness, keep a judgment journal and have some grace with yourself.
0: I love it. I love that idea. And I appreciate your time to talk with us today about all of this and how we can both improve our own wellness and those around us in the community for those listening you can't see rob just had his uh cat join us Domino was here <laughs> i love it i love it compassion for kitty emotional support animal all the things if you want to see more of rob and his cats you can follow on social at empathy activist you're on tiktok which first of all i i I'm not on TikTok and um, I'm a millennial. So kudos to you. I I could not hack it, but you're also on Instagram and listeners can find you and more about your books, your email lists, all that kind of stuff on robvulpy.expert and we'll put a link in the show notes for everybody. Um but is there anything that I missed or that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you want to share before we before I let you go snuggle your kitty?
1: course, yeah,, uh, thank you. I think the only other thing I'd mention to you we were talking about, like trying to get to know other people. the the book, I t- I share these stories. I pulled transcripts from the actual interviews. Some of them are fifteen years old at this point. But if you want to get it as some experience and seeing, like put yourself into my shoes, imagine because I'm the narrator, main character because I'm throughout the whole book. But as you're reading those stories try to imagine well what would you have done if you were how would you respond like as you're taking those things in you're hearing those different things you're discovering i I talk about sex i talk about drugs it's very inspiring though but you whether it's the gun show you're stepping into somebody else's shoes. And I really share a lot about my own thought processes and I reflect on what was going on and how I was reacting. So if you can put yourself into my shoes in that situation, I think it's a good starting point to just understand each of the steps.
0: I appreciate your willingness to share and listeners, thank you for tuning in today. Rob, it's been great to connect with you. I think in a different world where i'm on the west coast cuz don't come to the east coast. <laughs> if i were the east coast we could hang out and chat about so many more things. Listeners, we've put um, the links in the show notes for you at realeverything.com and if you enjoy the show make sure that you like and subscribe and share it is huge for our ability to reach new audiences and continue to do this work and as always we appreciate your willingness to be open to grow through your own personal change because no one is perfect but in listening learning and unlearning we can choose to become better versions of ourselves for ourselves thank you and we'll be back again next week